You can imagine our surprise on the last retreat we taught when the first morning after the night of registration uh, we woke up and we went to sit in the meditation hall at 5.30 in the morning and 5.30 to 6.30 before breakfast and at quarter of six these four huge tree-eating machines started up about a hundred yards away and uh, there are these two skitters and these two machines that clear-cut forest and they all four of them run on very high-powered diesel engines at high RPM with no muffler and a couple of guys with chainsaws <laughs> and they started up at quarter or six in the morning and they went loud all day till 2.30 in the afternoon. Then they slowed down and they were pretty much quiet by 3 in the afternoon. First day of retreat. Second day, got up, same thing. Five, five, uh, quarter, six in the morning, loud screaming noises. Just, just 50 yards behind the meditation hall. And, you know, periodically, every, every, oh, maybe minute or two, you'd hear a tree fall, crash. Then you'd hear ten trees getting dragged off to a, the yard. And this went on for nine hours a day, every day of the retreat, twelve days. Sounds horrible. Sounds like a bad retreat, doesn't it? We thought so, too. <laughs> On the second day, we realized that it was going to be a special retreat. And um, we called a meeting of all the, all the yogis there, and we said, what's going on? And, of course, there was a lot of expression of rage and anger and disappointment and fear and anxiety and restlessness and you know, why am I here, and why are they doing it, and hostility, and everything that you can run into in, on a horrible retreat, in a bad sitting. And it was all there in, with good cause. The conditions next door provoked those reactions in us. Well, it was obvious that we weren't going to stop that land from being clear-cut. Although there was a lawyer uh, on retreat, who was a land-use lawyer who had prepared a uh, request for a temporary restraining order due to it being a nuisance, but we encouraged him not to file it. And we did have some uh, forest activists or eco-saboteurs or whatever you want to call it, some people who belonged to the monkey wrench gang, who were all ready to go put sugar in the gas tanks. And we talked them out of that. <laughs> <laughs> And we had some who were ready to uh, start a new jihad and putting up all sorts of religious slogans along the border aimed at the property owner next door. And we encouraged them not to do that. There was some intense reaction there. Through a combination of 
uh, expressing our feelings, uh, changing the schedule somewhat, uh, changing the meditation hall from one location to another, uh, working around the conditions, and working directly with the conditions, really, really watching our anger, really looking at our fear, being with it, being with noise as pure noise, uh, and the imagery that comes when you, when you imagine a whole forest being cut down, and actually going there and standing on the border and watching these men in their machines, you know, staring at them, kind of trying to intimidate them or something, or make them feel ashamed, or sometimes just sending them compassion. It was an extraordinary practice for those people on that retreat. They were disappointed that they did not get their annual quiet retreat in the wilderness silence. But on the other hand, all of their hindrances, all of their obstructions to practice in the world was immediately obvious first sitting. Didn't have to wait long. It was all there, first sitting. And they had to work with it every sitting, or at least nine hours a day during that retreat. Surprisingly, at the end of that retreat, universally, all of them, just exclaimed how extraordinarily powerful, useful, even wonderful that retreat was for them. Because they really had to learn how to deal with conditions that evoke in us or provoke in us painful reaction. And a lot of our life is like that. A lot of our life is dealing with somebody clear-cutting right beside us. It might be driving down the road, it might be in the office, it might be at home, it might be the neighbor, it might be whatever it is, but somebody is doing something that <coughs> causes us fear, anxiety, restlessness, doubt, desire, confusion. And so it was a, uh, a real testing ground, actually and a real training ground for learning how to acknowledge conditions and our conditioning by them. What became really clear in the beginning was the conditions uh, of what's happening around us provoking a conditioned response. It wasn't we didn't have to pretend that, oh, I'm angry, or I'm not really angry, I'm not really afraid, I'm not really restless. It was right there in living color. And often on retreat, we come, we get away, we, 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 we don't, uh, we're not d hanging out in our usual activities, and we try to get away from that which causes us anxiety, fear, sleepiness, <laughs> restlessness, anger, aversion, disappointment, frustration. And Oftentimes we can uh, manipulate conditions somewhat to give us a little insulation. But inevitably, if you pay attention, as we do on retreat, if you just sit still and pay attention to your mind, you will discover aversion, frustration, disappointment, desire, unfulfilled desire, 
restlessness, doubt, wonderment, bewilderment, confusion, anxiety. These are our conditioned responses to conditions of being a human being. It's quite natural that these responses or reactions are going to, at times, appear in the mind. So, we should understand that just because in practice we discover anger, aversion, disappointments, or appointments and disappointments, uh, a sense of shame, fear, disempowerment, uh, we shouldn't take it personal. (laughs) It's just conditions. Conditions either around us or past conditioning in our life or others' lives is going to, at times, when conditions are right, those responses or those feelings are going to emerge. Wisdom would have us say, all right, here they are. How can I work with them skillfully? How can I not be derailed? How can I not suffer with these conditions? Is it possible to be in a very frustrating situation and not suffer? To be in a situation like that, clear-cutting, and not be angry all the time? It's possible. And those people on that retreat really could, at the end of the retreat, say, you know what? I didn't like it, but I'm not angry at that person. I'm not frustrated by my retreat. I'm not disappointed that it wasn't as I had uh, expected. Because in time, they really came to see all the different perspectives of what was going on there. Sure, there was moments and times of anger, moments and times of compassion for that person, moments and times of disappointment. But one, one, one fellow who had gone up there and watched those machines uh, taking care of the land, he, 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 uh, in a group interview he said, uh, he made a comment to the other men in the interview, he said, you know guys, when you go up there and you stand there and you watch those guys moving around those trucks and grabbing those trees and dragging them off, don't you want to just be driving it for a while? And it's true. There's a tremendous sense of power in uh, getting things done. And that was a perspective that nobody saw the first day. At the end of the retreat, we were having another general discussion about how it had gone. And one woman who had been quite quiet during most of the retreat, sitting over in the corner, she said, You know, this was a great retreat. She said, I love the forest. And I love my chainsaw. And she, she is also a uh, a tree cutter. And she just had to really come to terms with that which was so difficult right behind her for all that time. So I want to talk about some of these conditioned reactions that we too may discover in our practice here this week. Aversion, disappointment, restlessness, 
sleepiness, wanting something other than what's happening, doubt or confusion or indecision. We know them as the, of course, the traditional hindrances to practice. But sometimes when a teacher says, oh, I'm going to give a talk on the hindrances, our old flags go up and says, I know the hindrances, zone out. There's another way to understand the hindrances. Not just as hindrances to practice or hindrances to concentration or uh, indications of bad yogi, bad sitting, but rather they are really uh, the call to awaken to a new way of relating to our experience at that time. Instead of responding with the conditioned disappointment, is there another way to respond to this situation? Instead of responding with sleepiness, dullness, uh, boredom, it's a call to awaken to another way of reacting to these conditions, another way of relating to these conditions. This practice that we undertake here, the practice to awaken, to, to wake up, is supremely difficult. I'm sure you can agree. In part because it challenges us to see, really, who we are. To uncover all that we have denied, feared, uh, avoided, and to, to really open to the full range of what it is possible to experience as a human being. So at times, we will be afraid. At times, we will fall into acting out our confusion, our desires, our aversions, our frustrations. But it's helpful to remember in any instance that these reactions are conditioned. We have been trained to respond to conditions in this way, with frustration, with disappointment, with aversion. And if we have been trained and conditioned that way, we can be untrained and unconditioned. There's the key to freedom. If we can see through our conditioning and let go of it, then we can be free to respond, to be present with whatever situation or conditions appear in our life and to be there fresh, new, each time, awake. And that's the challenge in working with these difficult visitors to the mind, as Kamala calls them. There's a sequence of um, coming to know our good friends, these hindrances, that I want to talk about. Before we start practice, or in the beginning of practice, we can be lost in these mental states for long periods of time and not even recognize it. We can be lost in a depression for days, weeks, longer, 
and never really recognize it. It sounds impossible, but it's true. We can be lost in uh, a whole lifetime of aversion, disliking, criticizing, judging, being frustrated by and disappointed by everything in life, and not realize that that is a conditioned way of relating to life. It sounds impossible, but it's true. You may discover it in yourself, that you have a particular way of relating to life, which is actually uh, a major hindrance, indicating the first task of awareness or mindfulness is to recognize what's going on. This is the first step. And we all have, we're all conditioned in helpful and unhelpful, skillful and unskillful ways. Our task here is to recognize that conditioning, to recognize how we are feeling right now. Because until we recognize our conditioning and the conditioned response to circumstances in life, we have no choice as to how to work with it or how to change it or how to uh, transform our relationship to conditions. If we don't know that we're angry, how can we do anything about it? We can only act it out. If we don't know that we're sleepy, and I mentioned to one of my, my groups today, have you had the experience of coming in, sitting down, and spending the first 20 or 30 minutes bobbing and nodding and dull and swaying, can't quite get to the breath, you don't, you know, for 20 minutes, half hour, and never recognize that you're sleeping? It happens. Don't even recognize it. Plain is the nose on our face, but we can't see it. So we need to recognize. Secondly, once we recognize what is happening, then our task is to open to it or accept it. I say accept it not as, oh, this is a good, good thing to be happening, but rather to accept that this is what's happening. And not just deny it, not just push it away, not just kind of turn away from it and say, oh, sleepiness, try harder. No. Sleepiness, what is it? Or the judgment of, you know, the disliking of aversion or the disliking of anger, kind of compounding it. Rather, we should say, anger, aversion, oh, what is this? I'm not trying to fix it. I'm not trying to make it go away. I'm curious to understand what it is and how I can work with it. And in that opening or in that accepting, coming to accept it, we, of course, have to learn how to balance our mind, bring our mind back into balance, because any of these hindering obstructions in the mind is an imbalance. When we're overreacting with uh, aversion, uh, we need to bring back, bring the mind back into balance where we're not so averse. If we're overreacting with desire and wanting, we've got to bring the mind back into a place of balance. If we're overreacting with restlessness, we've got to chill out a little bit. If we're too chilled out, we've got to energize a little bit. All of the movements of the hindrances are an imbalance of mind. When we recognize that, then we can take appropriate steps to rebalance the mind. And sometimes that will involve manipulating conditions outside, like asking those boys to stop or whatever it is, or 
manipulating internal conditions. And we can have some control over conditions to minimize the, the um, impact or the, the strength of our reaction. Recognizing, opening and accepting, and then we can let go. We can disidentify with what's actually happening. When we're caught and acting out, we're totally identified. When we're aware of and opening to, we're in balance, but we haven't let go of yet. But when we see clearly this is what's happening on a moment-to-moment basis, then we can let go of it as not me, not mine, and see that it is an impersonal, impermanent condition. So more specifically, sleepiness, being one of the major um, visitors to the mind, especially in the first couple of days of retreat like this. Anybody experience sleepiness today? Of course, universal. Everybody wins. Generally, there are three sources, or three kinds, or three mm, yep, sources for sleepiness or dullness. And the first is a genuine exhaustion an overextension, a depletion of energy uh, that many of us feel when we first come on retreat, first couple of days of retreat, because our lives are so busy, we're way overextended, and we're drained. And so when we get here, we need to rest. And the antidote of that, for that kind of sleepiness, of course, is to take a nap. Short naps, preferred, for the first day or two. Now, we've already been here two days, so there's probably not that kind of sleepiness happening. So naps are no longer indicated. So it must be one of the other two kinds of sleepiness. When, after a few days, or when we begin to get a little presence of mind and begin to open to hidden or uh, new material, physical experiences that are not so familiar, aches and pains and you know, knots and tensions, or mental stuff that's, that's surfacing, old memories, fears, uh, uh, pain of one sort or another, you know, unfulfilled desires and the, the whole package. When that stuff starts to surface, it's difficult. It's, 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 we often don't want to see it. And putting up that resistance to seeing that difficult, painful material wears us out. Sleepiness results. So, if you're feeling sleepy, sometimes it may be because difficult stuff is starting to come into the mind. We're starting to be aware of, you know, the heaviness in the body, the aches and pains, the heaviness of the mind, the, uh, the, 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 the emotional pain in our hearts. A third type of uh, sleepiness or dullness comes from an imbalance in our concentration and energy. Concentration and energy, uh, we can say, are uh, two ends of a continuum that need to be kept in balance. If one or the other gets too high or too low, then it causes problems in our awareness. So that when we get still and calm and we can sit pretty, pretty still, then there's a tendency for the energy to drop. So after sitting for six or seven hours a day and walking slowly for an equal number of hours, and you do that for a couple of days, suddenly the energy, the physical energy, is really quite low. The mental energy may be 
awake, but the tendency is to get over-concentrated, over-still, over-tranquilized, we could say. And there's not enough mental energy to keep ourselves awake. Another form of imbalance in the concentration energy uh, continuum is when we really are, are exerting ourselves too much. We're overshooting our experience all the time. And we're just kind of uh, hyper-vigilant. And this is an imbalance in our energy concentration, and we get over, mm, kind of get overstimulated. And that wears us out, tires us out. Trying to see too many experiences, or trying to see too subtle of experiences too soon. When the concentration, when the energy concentration isn't balanced, we can try, we can try, 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 and we'll wear ourselves out. And the feeling will be one of sleepiness, dullness. Not quite, uh, not landing or being with our experience in a very uh, soft way, but overshooting our experience continually. In any case, we need to recognize that form of dullness or sleepiness when it appears. And not judge it. Who among us can be sleepy, recognize it, and not judge it? All of us judge it. Nobody wants to feel dull and sleepy. But that's part of bringing the mind into balance. Because when we bring the mind into balance, then we can work with it. Then we have acknowledged, this is the way it is. Now, let me pick the right tool, meditator's tool, for working with it. Do I walk faster? Do I stand up? Do I open my eyes? Do I open and listen to hearing? Do I try harder? Do I soften? Do I go into the experience of sleepiness? Do I start chanting? If we know we're sleeping and we're not reacting to it, then we can skillfully choose the right tool for working with it. And any of those things that I mentioned are ways of dealing with sleepiness. Sleepiness doesn't always require more effort. Right effort, energy, is only one of the five elements of right effort. So in our attempt to find right effort in dealing with sleepiness, energy is only one of the five elements. And we might have too much energy already. So sleepiness doesn't always require more energy. But in order to know that, we have got to acknowledge sleepiness and begin to work with it begin to really explore it, to open to it, to feel it in the body. Many of us have this fear. If I'm feeling sleepy and I go into it, I'm going to fall asleep. Not so. The trick is to go into sleepiness and feel it. Go into sleepiness with a burning desire to understand what sleepiness is. That curiosity will keep you awake. And you can explore what sleepiness really is. We have all felt sleepy. We've all felt dull and tired in practice. And yet, if I asked you, write an essay on the experience of sleepiness, what could you say? What could you actually say about sleepiness? Most of us would be hard put to say two coherent sentences about sleepiness. 
We don't really know that much about it. We all generally know about it, but most of us have never explored it, really gone into it with a burning desire to know what sleepiness is. Where do we feel it? How do we feel it? What happens to it when we notice it? What's the quality of mind? What's the quality of thoughts? What happens to them? How long does it last? Just answering those questions would be a couple of paragraphs. When we have that desire to know, and this is really the only reason for practicing, if you've got any other agenda, you might want to look at it. The only real agenda for practicing is to wake up, to know the way things are, and then live in harmony with them. And so in every instance, that could be our first tact, is what is going on here? I really want to know. We don't note experience in order to get rid of it. Yes, we do. I do that a lot. I'd like to get rid of the experience, so I note it, note it, note it, and hope it goes away. But a better approach to practice is to note experience in order to know it clearly. Because one thing is universally true of all experience. It's impermanent. We don't have to make it go away. It is already going. We've just got to notice it. On retreat, there are a couple of proximate causes of sleepiness and dullness that it is worth mentioning. One of those causes is overeating. If you eat a lot, you'll feel dull and sleepy. Surprisingly, a second cause is undereating. If you don't eat enough, you also will feel dull and sleepy. Third surprise, oversleeping can cause sleepiness. So if you're taking a nap, take a short one. I'll set you a task for this retreat. If you're taking a nap after lunch, how long a nap do you need to feel refreshed before you lose momentum? If you sleep a half hour one day and you've lost your momentum, cut it back. If you only sleep 10 minutes and you don't feel refreshed, lengthen it a little bit. Find the amount of time it takes to actually feel refreshed but not lose your momentum when you take a nap. That means napping mindfully. Napping in order to know for yourself, how much do I need? Now, we all like to indulge in sleep. I mean, that's universal. I mean, sleep is the poor man's nibbana, or poor woman's <laughs> nibbana. It is. It's great. You know, peace, finally. But, that's not what we're here for, I hope. Once we recognize sleepiness is present, then we can deal with it. And there are any number of skillful ways that I've just mentioned, and others, for dealing with it. I, can't, I, can't, I could give a whole talk on just how to deal with sleepiness, but just so that you know, there are tools in the meditator's toolbox for dealing with sleepiness. And it's not only struggle. Second, uh, oh, one thing, back at that clear-cut retreat. Surprisingly, when the noise was going on from, from quarter of six to two-thirty or three o'clock in the afternoon, 
the yogis generally weren't sleepy because there was so much noise you couldn't sleep anyway you know and it took a lot of energy to kind of stay present and not get caught up and you know overwhelmed by it but many of them reported as soon as the noise stopped they felt exhausted in part because it took so much energy to be with the intensity and the continuity of that noise this should tell us something about pain about difficulty if we're spending a lot of time struggling if we're spending a lot of time with physical pain or mental pain we're going to get tired we're going to get exhausted and when we're tired and exhausted we can't be with difficult stuff so just just be aware that if you're dealing with a lot of physical pain and you're sitting you may be very tired how to deal with that shift your posture now you have permission so shift your posture keep yourself some comfortable deal with the discomfort when you've got mental when you've got the mental energy of course challenge that be with it be with it in its minute all of its minute permutations but when you don't have the mental energy don't exhaust yourself don't drain yourself by trying to stay with discomfort physical or mental this is a large part of skill in practice is learning to monitor your energy how much energy have you got for dealing with the conditions and there is wisdom in strategically retreating from difficulty when you don't have the energy to deal with it that's not denial that's not copping out that's not being a wimp that's being wise understanding that i don't have the energy a skillful means right now would be to get up out of this sitting and go outdoors and get refreshed or whatever it is you need to do give yourself a little more space second hindrance that was provoked strongly in this clear cut retreat was doubt confusion indecision should i stay or not and why bother what good is it going to do me to listen to these screaming machines for 12 days and many people come on retreat even when the conditions aren't so intense and they say oh my life's a mess i don't know if i should be here now the only thing that's coming up in in my practice is the situation i left at home Ugh. you know can't get deep can't get down can't get uh, through it or by it so what that's what's happening let that be your teacher in fact someone wrote a, wrote an article about that retreat they they called it the uh, unscheduled teaching at cloud mountain these machines were a great teacher so if you've got something coming up like that that is causing you all kinds of doubt and indecision and confusion and should i be here and what am i getting out of this and why bother and mm, great you've got yourself a great teacher for the week you can learn so much about yourself now remember that's why we're practicing self knowledge to learn about yourself remember to learn how doubt moves us around in our life Kamala and I are aware that here in at TCVC you have had one teacher primarily for a number of years and a few years ago due to conditions due to conditions um we were invited 
and we're aware that our offering of teaching, the instructions and how we run a retreat and the format of the retreat and the do's and don'ts and the please and the thank yous is different. No doubt some of you are having a difficult time with it. It's not like we used to do. It's not what I heard before. It's all that. Uh, I sympathize with you, really. I, I do, because that level of doubt this isn't what my other teacher said, and I like my other teacher better, and I don't know if I can trust you, and na 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 na. It's okay. It's okay that you feel doubt. Learn from it. Learn from it. Learn what your doubts are, how it moves you around, how it prevents you being in the present moment. I remember when I was in Burma, I went to Burma to work with Saito Upandita. And for the first several months, he was there, and I was working with him, seeing him every day. And then, as he often does, he was, went, he was scheduled to go traveling to the States, Australia and the States, for a few months. And I knew he was leaving somewhere towards the end of April, and I figured when he left, I'd just stop practice, wait till he come back. Yeah. If he's not there, can't practice. <laughs> you know? The day he left, he called me into his room, and he said, I'm going away for couple of months, he says, I want you to work with this other Sayadaw. I was stunned. I said, you got to be kidding. I mean, I didn't say it to him. I just was... I felt abandoned. I felt abandoned. I felt hurt. I felt... felt rebellious. Bullshit. I'm not going to work. I'm taking off. I'm taking a holiday. Thank you. First day... I went to see this other teacher. Walked in, did my bows, uh, gave him my standard report, the report of my experiences that I would have given to Saito Upandita if I had had him that day. He looked at me like he didn't understand the thing I said. <laughs> and then, to top it all off, he gave me the beginner's instruction again. You know, watch the breath of the actor. <laughs> I thought, this guy doesn't understand my practice. My practice is so good. And he's just giving me beginner's instructions again. He must not understand. I better explain more carefully tomorrow. I went back the next day, gave him my, uh, an improved report. Same thing. Didn't hear a thing I said. Go back to the breath. We're gonna... It took me a couple of days, resistance, just struggle, just confusion, massive doubt. What am I doing? Does this guy know what he's doing? Do I know what I'm doing? Why am I here? Am I... <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> then I said, all right, I'm in Burma, I'm practicing, Saito Pandita's gone for two or three months, I might as well do it. Shifted my attitude towards him, went in, heard the instruction, went back to my room, began all over again. It took about two days. Practice changed completely. Completely. Not what I would have reported to Upandita. Not what I was experiencing when with Upandita. Something different. I didn't realize how, uh, how much I had been stuck. Caught in a kind of a, uh, a familiar, habitual relationship with Upandita and stuck in practice. Severely challenged by my doubt. I was ready to give up. I was ready to leave. I was so attached to my practice that I wasn't going to let a little doubt 
derail it. Thank God for doubt. That doubt was the key to opening and awakening and, and seeing where I was stuck. Seeing how I could let go of that attachment to that practice, to that form, to that experience, to what I, to my beliefs, and to really open up practice. That might be happening for some of you. I, I can only sympathize with the pain of doubt. It is extremely uncomfortable. But please, we'll try to do the best we can in guiding you, if that's happening. But first, you know, you yourself, we, my, I myself, had to recognize doubt is present. Had to stop my reaction to it, bring it into balance, and then look for a skillful way to deal with it. Not take it as a judgment of myself or a judgment of my practice. It's due to conditions. Side or left, another side or has got to be reported to. Change of conditions constellates or conditions my reaction of doubt. That it's, it's so simple. I am not the doubt. I am not just... This, it's not mine. It's due to conditions. Okay, when we see that, we can recognize that doubt is a condition that comes to the mind due to external conditions. We don't have to own it, but we do have to work with it. We do have to learn how to skillfully work with our conditioning. And in that, we can actually let go, disidentify, or be free, free ourselves from our conditioning. But we've got to recognize it first. If we don't recognize it, we don't get anywhere. Sleepiness, doubt, aversion. <coughs> Anger, hatred, disappointment, frustration, all forms of withdrawing from the experience. This is diversion. So, when we find discomfort appearing in the body, mostly we spend the first period of time trying to get away from it. You know, we'll kind of lean a little bit like this, we'll kind of lean a bit like that, we'll crick our neck, we'll, do, we'll clear our throat, we'll do everything to get away from that discomfort. All of that is acting out of aversion. Haven't yet noticed it. Haven't yet acknowledged this is unpleasant and I don't like it. That's all you got to say. This is unpleasant and I don't like it. That's acknowledging aversion. Then, when we've got a handle on it, okay, this is what's happening. I don't like what's happening. It's okay not to like what's happening. It's okay. You don't have to like it. And who could like most of our experience? It's unpleasant. <laughs> it's, it's miserable. However, that is what's happening. We do have to work with it. That's the challenge. Now, can I open to this that I don't like. Here it is. Pain. Pain in the knee, pain in the heart, pain in the head. Wherever it is, pain. Discomfort. Can I say, wait a minute, I don't like it, but that's irrelevant. It's what's happening. Can I be with it? Can I soften, open, and go into that? 
Just settle in. Let it be there and open to it. That's how we approach pain, discomfort. That's what it took these people listening to those trucks, those skitters and those, uh, those tree harvesters. Here is this tremendous pain. It's the pain of the noise. There was a lot of noise. That was painful. But the pain in the heart was worse. Here's a beautiful forest of old, old trees falling, just gone, 15 acres gone in a couple of weeks. The pain in the heart, the disappointment, the, the grief was tremendous. Can we open to that? Can we allow it to be there? Can we really feel pain? Can we feel grief? Sadness? And when we do, we find out that that, of course, is a response to conditions. It's not who we are. It's not mine. It's what happens when conditions come together. Grief happens. Okay, can I be with it? Because when we can, we see that grief too is an impermanent, impersonal, momentary experience. It comes, we notice it, it goes. We're free of it. Disidentified from it. We don't grab onto it. We don't push away from it. We just watch it go by. If we act it out, if we act out our fear, if we act out our anger, if we act out our frustration, our disappointment, our grief, we don't give it a chance to live its own life. And it'll have to come back and live it again. But if we can be with it for its life, for the length, for the life of its conditions, then those conditions come together and it's gone. That's it. It's over. But if we resist it, those conditions will keep bringing it back again and again and again and again until we see it clearly as it is and let it go. Or should I say, let it be. It's really important to distinguish the difference between unpleasant and dislike. Experiences can be unpleasant, and are. Our habitual conditioned reaction is to dislike them. That we can undo. That we can take apart that conditioning. So that we actually feel unpleasantness and not dislike it. One woman was talking today in, a, in the interview. She said, I um, can't remember exactly what it was, but she was having this experience that was pleasant, but painful. Or painful, but pleasant. She says, I'm not kinky. She says, it really was. I'm not being weird. And I explained it to her by saying, yes, when the mind is, when we are burning with a desire to know things as they are, when the mind is knowing clearly, even unpleasant experience can bring joy to the mind because we're knowing things as they are. 
And when that happens, when, when we get that, that quality of uh, practice where we're just noticing in order to know things as they are, then the pain in our experience, the unpleasantness in our experience, doesn't cause suffering. Doesn't cause us to be angry, to be averse, to be disappointed, to be frustrated. It's just something else to know. And that brings joy to the mind. Of course, doesn't happen all the time. Sometimes we get stuck in aversion. Sometimes we get stuck in frustration, disappointment, anger, struggle, the whole, you know, the whole thing. And then we might just want to manipulate conditions. Walk outside. Brighten your mind. Bring a little energy to the body. Uh, read something that's inspirational, although we're saying no reading here. Um, speak to one of the teachers and get a little inspiration, or get a little encouragement. Anything to brighten up the mind, because when the mind is locked in aversion and, and uh, any type of uh, darkness like that, man, the mind gets really dark and contracted and phew, there's no light at all in there. So, bring some light. Do something that brings joy to you. Maybe it's just going upstairs and having a cup of tea. A cup of tea can really be quite joyful at times. I want to get to the other two hindrances briefly. Talked about sleepiness and doubt and aversion. A fourth hindrance, fourth major obstacle to practice is restlessness. Restlessness may be the most unpleasant of the hindrances. It is the, the body and mind are so unpleasant, so uncomfortable when restless that we think we're going to die. Really. You try to sit with restlessness and you think you're going to die. It is so unpleasant. You won't. Not one yogi has died yet of restlessness. <laughs> you might think so, but it won't. It's helpful to understand that restlessness is an excess of energy. Or let's say, the energy is not landing softly or directly on our experience. Again, we may be trying too hard. We may be trying to see one thing when something else is more obvious. And so there's actually a struggle in the mind, excess energy not landing on the predominant object, predominant experience. Restlessness can also be uh, conditioned by external uh, conditions, like at that retreat with the, the clear-cutting. The energy of those machines was so intense and so prolonged that the cells of the body felt like they were vibrating at the speed of the RPMs of those machines. And you could really notice it when you were sitting in the morning and the first machine started up. You know, because would, we, we changed the schedule to where we were sitting for 45 minutes before the machine started. And you'd have 45 minutes of quiet. And then the chainsaw, you know. And within seconds, within seconds, the body is going at the same speed for the next nine hours. That's restlessness, physical restlessness. And people were all over the shop on that retreat. They were just bouncing all over the place. 
going for long walks in the woods and long, just, I mean, just trying to contain this energy, deal with it. So it's helpful to know that sometimes it's brought about by external conditions. If possible, minimize the impact of those conditions. If you're in an overstimulating environment, get out of there. If you're eating too much, eat less. If you're around people that are too busy or going too fast, go someplace where people aren't so busy and they're going slower. Even here, we can manipulate conditions a little bit. When you feel restless, walk slower. Stand still. A great instruction for restlessness is stand and lean against a tree. A big one. That tree's not going anywhere. It isn't restless. It can help ground you. Sometimes we feel restlessness because we're trying too hard or we're um, overshooting. Anyway, we've got to recognize it before we can begin to work with it, pick the appropriate tool to work with it. Once we recognize that restlessness is present, label it. Identify, this is restlessness. Now, often in practice, we're narrowing the focus down to this object, the primary object, this flickering sensation in the body or this flickering mind state or whatever. In restlessness, you want to put on a wide-angle lens and just say, all of this, everything that's happening in the body and the mind is restlessness. Put a big frame around it. You know, if you give uh, uh, a wild bull a small pasture, he'll raise havoc. And if you give a wild bull a huge pasture, no problem. So when your mind is feeling like a wild animal and your body feels the same, give yourself a big pasture. Lots of space. Open your eyes. Walk outdoors. Stand outdoors. When you put all your restlessness in this big a space, not so much. Not so bad. If you try to put all your restlessness in a little narrow space the size of your body with your eyes closed in a small room and dark, you've got problems. It's like trying to cap a volcano. Can't do it. You just, just, you, you just vibrate yourself right to pieces. So give yourself a lot of space, psychic and physical space, when you recognize restlessness is present. The last of the hindrances that I want to speak about, and maybe the most tenacious of all that we have to deal with, is the wanting mind. Desire, craving, longing, wanting, attachment, obsessive, uh, repetitive uh, thinking. It's amazing how much of our life is pull, we are pulled around by wanting something other than what we already have. Wanting some other experience, some other thing, some other relationship, some other knowledge than what we have. Very difficult to find contentment with what we already have. And yet, if any of us took an inventory of our lives, we would find that we already have everything we need. We don't need much more. And yet, we are not content. Not because we actually need something, but because we haven't dealt with our desire, our wanting mind. The wanting mind cannot be satisfied. Momentarily, temporarily, yes. 
But it's not getting the thing, getting the person, getting the experience that satisfies it. If we recognize wanting is present, another impersonal, impermanent appearance in the mind, then we've got a handle. We can begin to get a handle on it. It's not that nukkha. It's not that vacation. It's not that retreat. It's not that sitting. It's not even enlightenment that's going to do it for us. It's just acknowledging desire is present, wanting is present, and feeling it. Did you ever stop and actually feel what desire and wanting feels like in the body when it's present? We've been jerked around by desire and wanting for lifetimes, the Buddha says. Lifetimes, eons. Because we haven't yet felt it through carefully. We haven't seen that it is an impersonal, impermanent, appearance in the mind. It's not mine. It's not ours. It's not who we are. Desire comes due to conditions. When those conditions pass, desire ceases. If we can be aware of desire when it appears, stay present with it until those conditions cease. We will have seen through desire. we will see that it is, it's just another impersonal force in the mind. It's like a car driving by. There's a sound due to conditions for a while. Why get disturbed by it? Why get excited by it? Why act out in relation to it? Let it go by. Be free. This is what we do when we, we begin to wake up to desire. <clears throat> so these are our challenges this week. Sleepiness, doubt, restlessness, aversion, and, and wanting. <clears throat> Begin to recognize them. Stop judging them and find the tools to work with them. That's our challenge. Find the tools to work appropriately with what is obstructing our awareness. So, in whatever posture you're in, let's just sit quietly for a minute or two to let the words settle. 